0: Today on the Relationship Revival Show, I'm joined by Keith Wilson. Keith is a licensed mental health counselor and former certified substance abuse counselor in private practice in Rochester, New York. He's had more than 30 years' experience with as diverse a population as troubled youth, troubled marriages, domestic violence victims and perpetrators, addicts and alcoholics, sexual abuse offenders, survivors and non defending spouses, the seriously mentally ill, and the worried well, and the people who love all of the above. He's the author of three self-help books, Constructive Conflict, Building Something Good Out of All of Those Arguments, The Road to Reconciliation, A Comprehensive Guide to Peace When Relationships Go Bad, and How to Make an Apology You'll Never Have to Make Again. He's also published three novels and early parts of what may be his next book, Searching for an Inner Adult, A Field Guide to Feelings, and The Reflectic Eclectic can be found on his blog at KeithWilsonCounseling.com. You're listening to the Relationship Revival Podcast with John DeBock, also known as Mr. Spirituality. That's me. I'm your host giving you insights and guidance from over 10 years in the field of this amazing journey we call romance. On this show, I go over everything you need to know about how to get into a relationship, how to get the most out of a relationship, and sometimes even how to gracefully end a relationship without pulling your hair out and going crazy and occasionally i'm even joined by new and old friends who are also relationship experts to bring you guidance and wisdom with new perspectives thanks for stopping by keith wilson thank you so much for being on the program with me i'm happy to be here i um I am fascinated by all the different types of people you've worked with in terms of the population. Mm-hmm. Is there a reason that you've had such a diverse experience in your, in your life, or is that just kind of accidental? Uh, well, I've been doing this for a long time. So <laughs> uh,
1: uh, things kind of accumulate that way uh, f- for the longest you know, in any career, it takes a while before you get settled into something. And so I worked with, um, uh, uh, kids who we used to call, uh, juvenile delinquents uh, back in the beginning, um, and then, uh, alcoholics and then, uh, uh, folks with severe mental illnesses, uh, some, uh, sexual offenders, uh, some many victims. Uh, Then I went into private practice, and that opened up a whole new field of folks that I work with. Uh, So at this point, uh, I've seen just about everything uh, and heard everything, and uh, um, it's kind of hard to shock me.
0: Has there been a population or, uh, or a type of client that was specifically hard for you? or that you are specifically excited to work with?
1: Well, I think there's aspects that are hard about uh, every problem, you know, of course, it's a problem that people are bringing to my office. And um, it, it, these problems can get me discouraged as much as anybody else. Uh, but I try to find uh, just what the problem is there for, what the, what the function of it is, and, and try to, uh, be adaptable to, uh, anything that, that comes along. Uh, now many people have got things going on that I have not personally experienced. That's probably sure. the case most of the time. Yeah. Um, so then the problem is to uh, set aside my own personal biases and, and knowledge and, and, try to uh, you know not lose that entirely but to, to to enter fully into the world of the other person so I can understand where they're coming from and what it's all like and then I like to you know return to my world so that we can compare and 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 see see what we can learn from each other.
0: very interesting. I like that approach I mean I think everybody, I've talked to who's a counselor has somewhat of a similar approach because there's no way you could be an alcoholic and a victim of sexual abuse and this and that, and like, and also be a therapist. Right. So you have to, you have to kind of be able to put your, yourself in their shoes a little bit. Uh, Um, Nor
1: is there any way that you can attend all those trainings. Right. (laughs) You know, uh, you, you can't, you can't educate yourself fully. Uh, for, for anything that can come in through your door. Uh, so I, I think a good therapist learns from their client. Uh, but, you know, not to stop there, because, you know, if all we know is what the client knows, then we're stuck, too. Uh, so we have to some somehow uh, get beyond that as well. Yeah, that makes sense.
0: How did, you, how did you discover your passion for writing and how did you decide to become an author?
1: Uh, well, I've always had a passion for writing. That's really uh, something that preceded being a therapist. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, and I got I to, like many shrinks, I got to take everything back to my, my parents. Uh, and my, my father grew up with a writer, his his mother was a maid in a rich person's home, and the rich person was was an author, and he admired him. And so, all I needed to do was go to school and, and write a story, and he was all over me, praising me for for the story, and that 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 stuck. I, I enjoyed doing that. So, uh, when I finally went to college, I initially was going to be a, uh, literature major. I, I always wanted to write and, and read of course. Uh, but you know, any literature major has to endure that question of uh, what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, I, I wasn't sure what to do with it other than to teach and take the crapshoot of trying to write and hoping that that would, uh, uh, earned me a living. So I, but I, I found I found um, uh, therapy and being a counselor as a perfect uh, thing that an aspiring writer can
0: do. Why is that? Uh, Why is that such a perfect fit?
1: Well, I think my my background in, in reading um, prepared me to listen to other people's stories. It prepared me, particularly when you read novels, you're, you're, you're getting into the head of the character. Yeah. All right. Um, so that prepared me. I think um, most uh, there is a thing called narrative therapy. Yeah. But, but really all psych psychotherapy is narrative therapy, because mm-hmm. that's the only thing we have to work up with is the narrative. Uh, so uh, I, I sometimes think of myself as my client's uh, editor. Uh, someone who uh, takes their story and organize helps them organizes it, it, and helps them prepare it for um, other people to understand, and, and, and also themselves, yeah, <laughs> and for them them to
0: understand.
1: Uh, so so I think there's there's a perfect fit there. Now, That's so I,
0: interesting. I you know as a cu- I only work with couples, and right. I mean it's an individual from couples too, but I often we'll use an analogy too. I, I tell people I'm a translator, right? You're speaking mm-hmm. one language, she's speaking the other. And I'm really just there to kind of translate. I love the idea of kind of framing it for your clients as an editor and oh. organizing the thoughts. That's brilliant. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Thank you. Yeah. Um, what When you feel compelled to write a book, because you have written so many, mm-hmm. where does that compulsion come from? How do you decide what you're going to write about, what the topic is, be it self-help or a novel?
1: Uh, Well, I started uh, with fiction. I I started with writing uh, short stories. And um, my first, well, except for when I was a kid, when I started getting serious about writing, my first short stories were Largely inspired by my clients, uh, I, at the time I was working in an inner-city uh, mental health clinic, and I had a lot of people who um, were African American. They had experiences very foreign to mine. Mm-hmm. They, they were uh, largely uh, severely mentally ill, and and and, and drug addicted, and uh, alcoholic, and. Backgrounds of being abused and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and I wanted to, uh, you know, it's one thing when I see a client and I write a clinical note afterwards. I kind of have to put it in all that clinical sure. language, sure, which I found terribly restrictive. I hate it. Uh-huh. Um, what I would much rather do is is become adept at speaking the the client's language and to um, be able to see things through their eyes. So I would start to write short stories, not that I would copy my client's stories into a short story form, but I I kind of imagined myself as a person growing up in that, 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 that that kind of background. Mm -hmm. Now today (laughs) there's a little, uh, if I were to do this now, I would be, take uh, running the risk of appropriating uh, their, 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 their stories. And I, I, I would take that very seriously. Uh, And I never even thought about it in those terms then. Um, But, but at the time it it was, it was a a chance for me to to, to live a bigger life than I was living uh, by, by living other people's lives this way.
0: Yeah, there's that imaginative exploration that, that comes with being an author. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. What about on the self-help side? How do you decide you know, which topics you want to write about? Uh, well,
1: my first self-help book was uh, Constructive Conflict. And, and that was a case of having um, either couples in my office or individuals who had conflict with their loved ones. And wanting to give them some practical tools to um, to handle these conflicts, I started off looking at some of the literature, and I wasn't very happy, frankly, with with any of it. So um, I I kind of wrote my own. I, I didn't really break any new ground. Constructive conflict is not a terribly original take on 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 communication with other uh-huh. people, but, but, but I tried to, you know, put it into the, uh, the, the terms that the people I was seeing would understand, mm-hmm. um, and, and be very clear and direct about things. Right. So I started with that. And then the, the next book was, uh, the road to reconciliation. And, and that arose from, well, the fact that I was seeing many clients who, who all had, breaks of some kind with loved ones either through something that they did to hurt the loved one or maybe just their illness hurt it hurt them you know yeah. they didn't try to hurt them but their illness did uh by being depressed or anxious or whatever or or they were victims of, of the loved one hurting them and um I, I'm looking for a way of, of helping them with this. And I, I attended a um, restorative justice conference and I don't know how much you or anybody listening knows about restorative justice, but well, let's assume that no one knows anything so that we uh, okay. can, yeah. Well, basically it works like this. Um, uh, I can say, let's say a teenager goes and paints swastikas mm-hmm. on the parking lot of a synagogue. Okay, and he gets caught. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, he comes before a judge, and and the kid regrets doing it already. You know, he's not uh, uh, trying to make excuses or anything. He regrets doing this, but what's the judge going to do? The judge can send the kid to jail, where he'll probably, you know, meet a bunch of skinheads and and become even further radicalized. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or he'll give the kid probation and um, will um, probably be perceived as, as slapping him on the wrist
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and things like that. Or the or the judge could sentence the kid to uh, rest, uh, see a restorative justice counselor. And if he sees the counselor, then the counselor will talk to him about, you know, if he's really sorry he did this. And... um how he imagines it might have affected the congregation and what he's willing to do to make amends and then the counselor will talk to the congregation and you know hear their story about how this affected them and how they think the kid might make amends and then uh, if, if everybody is still Uh, with the program at that point Mm -hmm. then he'll have them all meet together and work something out some some way to, to that the kid can make amends so i went to this conference to learn how to do this because at the time i was new in private practice and worried that i might not have enough work um so i i went to this conference and um I thought about using these same principles with the people that I was already seeing, you know, the, the alcoholic who, uh, you know, is following his 12 step program and, you know, needs to make amends, but doesn't have all that good structure to do that. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to figure out, um, how to guide them to do that. And, And I also had, you know, uh, a lot of people I was working with who were victimized and, and yet somehow either want to make peace with the victimization or they wanted to make a, a you know, reconcile with a person who hurt them. And how can I guide them without running into all the hazards that they could run into? And as I thought this through, you know, one of the best ways I have of thinking is to write so I would write, I would write these things for my blog. Uh, and then, you know, over time, then this evolved into a book. Um, and so you had a book.
0: And that's on reconciliation. That's the the book you wrote? Yeah, The Road to Reconciliation. The Road to a Comprehensive
1: Recon- Guide to Peace When Relationships Go Bad.
0: <laughs> so what are some surprising things that people who are struggling with reconciliation would find in your book, maybe some, some kind of give us a sneak peek, if you will, into kind of the, the method of thinking that you kind of outline.
1: Well, when I tried to apply this uh, restorative justice um, method to uh, say couples, uh, say you have an alcoholic husband who's, you know, uh, got a DWI and now the whole family's got to pay for it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's a harm done to the family. Um, uh, And if you stop there, I mean, you could just work with that and just stop there. But really, when you dig into it, you find that it's not that clear who's the victim Mm -hmm. quite often and who's the the perpetrator. Uh, I mean, you have perpetrators kind of making excuses that, you know, you made me do this. Uh, but I, I mean, still, that's a factor. Um, you don't want to, you know, uh, rationalize their, their bad behavior by, by that means, but it's still a factor. Yeah. So, um, came up with this idea of, of the victim cycle where, where, um, uh, you know, when you're victimized, the, the, the first thing you want to do is, is, you know, make some restitution, or, yeah. uh, retribution, I mean, okay, um, and, and then that, 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 that turns you into an offender. Okay. And then uh, the other person's victimized, and then they become an offender and you go around and around and around. So where do you start, you know, right. in, in a case like that? So my answer to that is, well, you start where the person is, you know. So if I have an alcoholic in my office who says, oh, my wife makes me drink, you know, she nags me so much, she makes me drink. You know, the, the old me would have just dismissed that and said, you know, you're making excuses about yeah. you. made a choice to drink. But, but now I take that much more seriously. Okay. Um, and and, and I, 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 I might start with that person. As a victim
0: uh-huh. of, of
1: nagging, and which I would is, take that very seriously, which is seriously. a
0: totally different approach. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and, and, and but I wouldn't stop there.
0: You know, of course.
1: I, I I would start there. Then we would investigate how being a victim is a hazardous profession. You know, uh, there's a lot of mistakes you can make by being a victim, and one of them is by committing these offenses yeah um, and, and so then we get to that point and then uh, uh, and then people are are much more willing to set aside their victimization to talk about uh, how how they have uh, hurt somebody else now if i have a person who wants to start there that's fine too mm-hmm. but i still let's just say they, they they're You know, a a wife cheated on her husband and is really sorry about doing that and wants to save her marriage. So she wants to go and make it up for her husband. I'll help her do that. I'll help her figure out a way to make amends, much like you would with restorative justice. But I wouldn't stop there either. Uh, I, I I would want to then take a look to see what was the victimization that preceded it. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't do that, then it's probably just going to happen all over again,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? You, you have to look at both sides of the uh, of the ledger here.
0: Absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Where can people find your Road to Reconciliation book? What's the easiest way for them to get it?
1: Uh, it's on Amazon um, and Bar- and Barnes and Noble. Uh, okay, great. Yeah.
0: And I'm sure they can learn more about you on your website, Keith Wilson Counseling, as well.
1: Yeah, uh, uh, KeithWilsonCounseling.com. I uh, didn't put it. uh, I didn't put it. A lot of things. A lot of things posted there. Yeah, KeithWilsonCounseling.com.
0: Well, keep writing. I'm excited to see what you come up with next. And thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and time with with the audience. If you're interested in learning how to get the absolute most out of your romantic relationships, then you're in luck because I have put together a free workshop or masterclass, if you will, about three secrets that people in happy relationships have discovered. You can view the workshop at mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. Again, it's completely free. Just go there and watch it. It'll help you on your journey, give you some wisdom, some things to think about. The website again is mrspirituality.com slash three secrets. That's mrspirituality.com slash the number three, the word secrets. It's all yours, enjoy.